welcome to the Drawing Inspiration Podcast. I am your host, Mike Hendley. Episode 27, Character Design, Digital Brushes, and the Power of Habituation with artist Max Ulichny. Hi everyone, I hope you're doing well. It's um, still uh, pandemic time, so I know uh, life is challenging and I can't help but not talk about it. And so it's been challenging for me getting some time in. Work has been very, very busy for me. And so I'm not drawing or creating as often as I would like, but that is the nature of things. And I'm okay letting that go, uh, knowing that I'll come back to it. So in the last few days, maybe the last week, I have been a little bit more creative. I've been able to put some time aside and I ventured into some weird areas. (laughs) And uh, I enjoy doing that. I'm not a full-time artist, so you know this is my spare time, and I'm trying to to kind of push myself into some different um, areas using different subjects rather than uh, the graphite. I always do. I will always have. Um, when you look at my posts, you see it's predominantly graphite pencil, but uh, I've been exploring a little bit. So I had the opportunity to connect with uh, Christian Sasse, who's a uh, photographer astronomer uh, located out on the west coast of Canada. And we did something kind of fun. I took one of his photos. He's um, He does a lot of photography, especially of bald eagles. And so we connected. I took one of his uh, photos and used it as a reference, and I drew his photo in Procreate in real time while we talked about uh, bald eagles. And we had people uh, posing questions. We were on YouTube and Facebook, and Periscope, and we were, I think, about two and a half hours going through, and and I finished the piece. I'll include a link in the show notes to that piece. And that was great. It was was fun talking to somebody outside of art, and being able to learn about bald eagles. And the questions were fantastic. I thank you all for for joining, and I really enjoyed that. I'm going to try and do more of this kind of sci-art stuff, uh, where I'm able to sit down with a scientist of um, in a certain discipline and be able to draw and talk about uh, what they're doing and then share my art process as well. I think it's a really interesting way to connect a science and art. So I'm going to try and do a few more of these. The other piece that I've been working on for a period of time was a, a snow leopard. I was inspired by a video I saw. I think it's the White Lion Foundation. And I decided to try this snow leopard, which I hadn't uh, kind of explored before, this kind of mix of textures, which really captivated me. The idea of of having a snow leopard in some kind of cave, a mixture of rock and snow and trees in the background and the snow leopard itself. So that was a really kind of fun little project. Once again, working in kind of that three and a half by five and a half moleskin with uh, graphite pencil. And uh, that was a complete piece, which normally I don't do. I usually focus just on the animal itself. And that was cool. It was about, I think, three hours of work. You know, I, I think it's one of those pieces that I may end up doing at a larger scale. I'll have to see. Uh, but this is why I do the small pieces, right? I'm trying to investigate the textures and see what works and what doesn't, and then considering that uh, as to what happens in the future. The other thing I've been uh, exploring a little bit is kind of this imaginative realism. I had uh, bought the book by James Gurney, and I haven't finished reading it, but I think it's <laughs> it's gotten into my subconscious because I'm kind of sketching a little bit more in this kind of imaginative, um, you know, combining animals with people. And uh, so I did um, some dinosaurs, which um, was kind of a fun exploration. And then I did this kind of 
um, I don't know, other world, underworld kind of toad or frog. And that was kind of fun as well. So I'm going to keep doing that. It's kind of fun. I did those both on the iPad using Procreate. And so having Procreate on the iPad is great because you can do that anywhere. And so it's just, it's kind of fun to play with that. I think for me, it's it's a bit more liberating than doing it in physical media because I feel that that is an effort and a, and a, an experience that I treat separately. And I think when I'm just sketching and throwing down ideas, I uh, I really enjoy doing that in Procreate. So those two pieces, and I'll provide links to them in the show notes. Those are kind of fun, kind of outside of my wheelhouse, maybe my normal kind of <laughs> art that I do. But I would encourage you, if you're a creative, to try something different. And the next uh, bit I'm going to talk about is is where I pushed it even further. And so I did my first kind of human anatomy pieces. I did one, I, they're both dancers, and I just found these reference photos online. And I wanted to explore not just a portrait or human anatomy, but movement. And so the first one was a really rough. It was, I think, under an hour. And uh, I did it in, once again, in Procreate. I was leveraging um, the Max Packs uh, brush set, which we'll talk about later in the show, in the interview. But I was just exploring that a little bit, understanding movement and uh, looking at the muscles and trying to do some of that. And, you know, there's a whole bunch of things I would have done differently on the first one. But it was, for me, it was an exploration in, in human anatomy, in movement, and... Um, you know, I'm not, I haven't done enough of this to do it from memory, so I'm going to have to use reference photos, but it was, a, it was a fun experience. I'm really happy with what I was able to pull off there. And the second one I spent a little bit more time, was about two and a half hours, once again a dancer again, and this was a mix of brushes, and uh, I'm, I'm happy, you know, even just to see the progression from one to the other, I think I'm happy with that. So having said that, I think I'm going to be exploring uh, animals and insects a little bit more, and maybe even some landscapes. We're getting into a latter part of spring, into summer, and so I'm going to be kind of motivated by that. I'm going to get back into anatomy, I think, but I'm going to have to take a little bit, I think, of a different approach and, um, you know, spend a little bit more time on it. I, I do enjoy doing it. I think um, it's, I don't know, it's the human body is almost like a landscape, right? And understanding how the muscles and, and the bones and, and all the, the pieces connect and move together, I think is exciting. I'm, I'm really captivated by movement, more so than just portraiture. I, I like that idea of trying to capture movement, so I'm going to work on that a little bit. I think I'm going to break it down and focus on some of the areas like you know legs and arms and understanding those interactions and how they move, and maybe do studies of just hands and do studies of just feet, and then be able to pull all that back together into something that I can uh, explore and be a bit more creative with. So I think that'll be a bit later on. So the next few pieces you'll see from me will be around, I think, animals and insects, especially with, uh, you know, I saw a jumping spider yesterday and it was cool to see all these characters back out uh, because it's been so cold and uh, such a long winter. So I'm, I'm happy to see all that about. And I did, um, we have ducks in our pond and we had one that didn't uh, leave with the family, so we called him uh, Herbie. <laughs> Herbie the love duck, maybe. And uh, we were finally, I think over about three days, we had him um, in, the, in the house in the evenings, and we brought him out to the pond. And finally, after a few attempts, we were able to connect him back up with a mother, a different mother. And um, they're off now. So I'm really, really excited about that. So if you see a duckling in my Instagram feed, that was that story. And we're so happy that uh, that Herbie found a home. 
and uh, he may end up being uh, an object of, uh, of one of my uh, future graphite pieces. So with all that being said, I want to get right into the show. It's about an hour and a half of an interview with Max Ulichny. He's, uh, he's incredible. Such a nice guy. And uh, I tell you, when you get to the end of this, you do, if you don't feel inspired to do more of what you do or to explore and look for that kind of work-life balance, um, I, would be, uh, I would be shocked. He's, uh, I tell you, when I got to the end of this and even editing it, I felt like wow, this guy is just, he's on his game. Such a nice guy. I hope we have the opportunity to, to chat again. I really enjoyed this interview, and I'm sure you will as well. My guest this week is an accomplished artist and animator who has worked for nearly 14 years at the same company that has done work on commercials and title sequences for popular TV shows like Westworld and Game of Thrones, amongst many other projects. He recently ventured out on a new path with Netflix, where he is leveraging his incredible expertise in character design. However, I came across his name and his art through his relationship with Procreate, the art and the animation app for iPad. I was immediately captivated by his work and his style. I have since used his work as inspiration for some of my digital pieces, and I recently purchased his upgraded Max Pax brushes for Procreate, which has changed how I do my digital art. Welcome to the Drawing Inspiration Podcast, Max Ulichny. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. I've uh, I've been such a huge fan of your work and been following you for quite some time on Instagram. That's, the brush packs have been awesome. I've been, uh, especially with Procreate 5, they were huge for me. And so I wanted to have you on because you have such an interesting journey that you've been on to date and things are changing again for you or have changed for you now. And I wanted to talk through somebody in your industry and, and where you started from and where you are now, because I think it's it's... I think there's some parallels for a lot of people in all of that. And uh, I wonder if we can start with, when was your earliest memory of drawing or painting or, or being an artist? Was it always something in Max? Was that part of you as a kid where you were the artsy one? Or is that something that you came to later? Yeah, I've, I've always been the artsy kid. Um, it was, my mom loves to tell a story that w- she used to have to put me to nap down to nap and pry the crayons out of my hand after I fell asleep. Um, so it's always been a part of my life. Both my parents are creative. My dad was in advertising, uh, growing up. And so I always had a good model. He would paint, um, especially in the winters, he would paint in the basement and, and, uh, was often in group shows and solo shows at, uh, galleries and museums, which was really cool. So we were in, grew up near Cleveland and we we would have shows at like the Cleveland Art Museum, which was awesome or Youngstown or different places. And, and, um, it was always really interesting to, um, I don't know. It was, it was, he was always a good model for the ability to have art both as a creative, as a personal outlet and also as a professional uh, career path. So it was always a viable thing. And he was very encouraging. Both of my parents were incredibly encouraging. Um, My mom was a teacher, but she was also um, artistic in her own right when she wanted to be, she was like, sometimes you'd come home and she was doing a still life in pastels on the, on the kitchen table or something like that. So, uh, and we had some of her art and and my dad's art around the house growing up. So there was, it was always, we were always an artistic family. There was no getting around it, but it was also something that I committed to early and loved and was kind of identified by, by all my friends and everybody in school knew me as the artsy kid, you know? So it was just, just the expected thing, but it was also the thing that I loved and, and leaned into for sure. And you stuck with that through high school and... Yeah, uh, I think especially through high school, you know, because at a certain point, you know, everybody 
draws when they're little, right? Mm -hmm. And through probably elementary school, everybody draws. It's not a differentiating thing. I was just better than the rest, generally. Partially because my dad would help, you know, give me good examples and kind of aim the the potential well, Mm -hmm. you know? So we would do, I remember learning perspective, like, I don't know, 10 years before they ever taught it to you in an art class. Um, So I was doing three-point perspective in, like, you know, elementary school, wow. <laughs> um, not well, of course, but I, you know, yeah. and, and doing like master copies of, of, you know, whoever, I don't remember, but in, from, from art books as a kid, um, kind of traditional style, like atelier style, you know, low key, like appropriate for a kid. It wasn't like, you know, he was making it too serious, but it was um, something that I always just had a model for. And I was also drawing from comics and cartoons and things. So it was just something that I was always doing, in some form of study or just goofing around, I just always had a drawing pad with me. And then especially the older you get in school, like as everybody starts like dropping off and taking interests in other things, I I just continued through with art because it was, it just felt natural to me. It never crossed my mind that I should be doing anything else really. Right. I think that's the the challenge. Like I grew up in, I I was the same way. Like I I loved art. I drew a lot. I drew Tom and Jerry stuff and a bunch of Disney and all that just in my spare time when I was, you know, 10, 11, 12. And then I got to a point where, you know, my dad who was blue collar was like, uh, you know, um, I'm an electrician. (laughs) I don't know how much money you're going to make as an artist. And it starts to, he wasn't, he wasn't forceful about it, but it starts to brush off on you a little bit. Right. Of course. And, um, you know, and, and then you get through your teen years and then that, you know, messes with you as well, right? As you transition through adolescence. Yeah, and, uh, it's a rough time for any, for anybody for all kinds of reasons, but especially like something like that is, is I don't know, it's maybe othering because there aren't a lot of people who are artists in school. Right. It is a small subset of people. Yeah, and I think it's, I mean, to be an artist is unique. To be mm-hmm. able to preserve that through high school into college is even more unique, right? Yeah. And so that, I think that's why you see a lot of people like me and others um, I spoke to Lisa Congdon as well, uh, who's a person that came back to art or came to art quite late in light of, uh, life as well. And so I think a lot of people go through that where for whatever reason, they disconnect from it and then they yeah. look back to it. Um, so that's really cool that that you had parents that were around you and supportive and understood what you were following. So you, you yeah. obviously went through high school, then into college. Into- yeah, I went to art school. Yeah, I, I, it was, I remember it being controversial when I, I I felt like it was controversial. Everybody seemed fine with it, of course, but it was, I don't know, it was that moment. I had a, I had a full ride to um, a state school and I chose not to take it in favor of a specialized art school. I went to Columbus College of Art and Design, okay. um, but I, I turned down kind of the safe bet with the backup plan, you know, in favor of what felt risky, but really I can't imagine looking back on it now, it was definitely not risky, but it, it felt unusual at the time. I didn't know anybody else going to art school at the time. My best friend in high school followed me to the same school, but um, you know, I don't know. It's just, it, I, I'm glad I did. I'm glad I did. I, you know, I get a lot of questions these days about is art school worth it? And it's yeah, so hard to say from the perspective of where I was, because you know, the alternatives that we have now are, were definitely not available at the time. So it felt like the only way to get access to um, some kind of secret knowledge was, was that way, you know, otherwise it was going to be self-taught the whole way. And I, you know, to that degree, I was still very much self-taught even despite uh, that stuff. I don't want to take any credit away from the people who definitely trained me in art school, but I mean, you get, yeah. get out what you put in, right? Like to a very large degree, I saw a lot of people get 
like I know I worked way harder than almost everybody else I went to school with. You know, I, I, I took more credits than anybody I knew. I was super committed to the, you know, to the expense of my social life to a large degree, you know, right. and I have thoughts on that too, but that's maybe a different podcast. <laughs> you know, I think well, just like, I was really serious about it. I went to art school because yeah. I wanted to be an artist. Um, I think, you know, from the perspective now, I didn't have enough fun. Part of college is social. It's about, you know, having a, having four years or whatever of, of, life experience and freedom that you just didn't have up until that point. And I didn't take full advantage of that. Like I should have, but I definitely took full advantage of my artistic training and, and everything else. So I, I can't say that I have regrets, but it's definitely not something I would probably do the exact same way again. You know, right. everybody has, I mean, that was something I learned also. Right. And I guess that's a lesson in itself. Yeah. But I, I think let's touch on that a little bit because I think, you know, work-life balance is huge. Right. And whether oh, yeah. that's college or that's your point in life right now, um, I can appreciate the fact that you know you're so passionate and devoted in in your in your art that um, a lot of the distractions mm-hmm. just don't bother you. And you know, it's a journey you took, and you are where you are. But I think a lot of people are faced with that, right? Where you, especially college and university, you're expected that it's you know even the teachers are saying you have to you you have to leave your city to go to <laughs> a college yeah. or university because you need that experience, right? with air quotes yeah. um, and rather than focusing on, you know, uh, like my daughter's going into chemistry, like she's, she's not interested in frosh week and all that. She wants to get into the labs and start playing sure. in that and have the same kind of devotion and passion. And so other people are looking at it differently, but um, I'd say I, it's I, a great moment to practice work-life balance. I, I think that's probably a, an age that you set up a lot of the skills and habits that will carry through your, the rest of your life. I mean, really that stuff is probably set long before then even, but mm-hmm. um, I know for my sake, I, I began overworking and have continued to overwork until I finally mm-hmm. sort of corrected back a little bit. I'm still trying to claw back some balance. I don't think it ever comes easily, but um, mm-hmm. you know, for sure that was, uh, I could have had more fun in college. I could have had more fun in my career. <laughs> you know, I think it's just always, you, you want to make sure you're always checking in with priorities and everything else. Yeah, it's um, yeah, it it can be a real challenge, and it sounds like it, it that whole work life, as you said, carried with you right through your career as well, right? So yeah, um, but it's also hard when it's something you love, you know, yeah. something you're passionate about. It's like how do you balance that in favor of you know, in college, it's like drinking and partying is kind of the alternative, and it's like that didn't really feel like me authentically in the same way as being an artist did. That felt much more naturally me. I was you know much more of an introvert and everything else. So it's mm-hmm. you know it's it's hard to say that I, I don't know. I, I probably would do it very similarly if I rewound and tried to do it, you know, again. would you have any kind of recollection of the max pre-college and post-college with regard to your art and the interests you had? Did it change you? Did it, did you focus differently? Did you come out, you know, maybe going in being enamored with comics and coming out thinking I love movies like did, how did, did <laughs> yeah. college change you. It did. Uh, you know, it's funny. Um, I, I was, I worked really young. I started working very young. Like I remember I did my first bit of freelance work at 14, 13 and 14. Um, I was um, like, I got paid to do a, uh, from a, through a family friend of my dad's to do graphics for a funny car, which is like a drag strip car. Mm -hmm. Um, I did an Eagle for the, uh, the Matco racing team. 
and that was huge. I mean, it was it was decent. I, I still I have a diecast car on my on my desk up here or on my shelves up here, and it's um it kind of holds up. You know, I mean, it's I'm not embarrassed by it at least. You know, especially yeah. from from something that I did God <laughs> a long time ago, <laughs> um, 24 years ago, and so I'm 38 now, and so I was yeah. It was um so I started working young. I um started interning with my dad at his ad agency at 16. I, uh, before that I was a caricature artist at SeaWorld briefly. And I worked in advertising from like 16 through 22 or 23, I guess, 23 before I moved out to LA. So I, I've always been well advanced for my age as an artist, partially, probably largely due to the influence of my parents and encouraging me to, to attack it. But I also think I just worked really hard at it. I was drawing more than anybody I've ever known. Um, and I think that just gives you at least hand skills, you know, even if it's not like great creative vision at the time, it's probably decent for your age. But so by the time I hit college, I was well ahead of the pack just because I was crazy enough to not never stop drawing, you know? Um, and so by the time I graduated, I had, you know, before I even started college, I was, I had decent instincts. And by the time I left, uh, like I, I changed my intention of what I wanted to do in college a lot. Um, before it was, it was comics, and, and car design were kind of like vying for my interests. And then also like animation and VFX was in there. So like mm -hmm. there was a lot of like Toy Story and Jurassic Park influence and like, you know, Marvel comics, especially image comics and car design. I, it, I was a mess of ideas at that age. You know, I think that's just natural. If most people at that age you just have so many interests and you're always changing. Yeah. And through college, I ended up kind of having to just pick something, you know, I almost changed schools to do car design in Detroit, uh, my junior year and decided to write it out at CCAD doing, uh, computer animation. So like CG became the focus because it kind of encompassed a lot of those interests to a certain extent. Um, I was always interested in technology. And so it was a way of saying, you know, I can do CG cars. I can, you know, build worlds. I can kind of, become my own VFX team and, and realize the whole vision and mm -hmm. have control over it. And so that became, and then I could follow that passion. If I learned those skills, I could follow that to whatever projects felt like they would scratch the itch, I suppose. So that, that became more, you know, and then it was also, I was doing concept art for the whole thing beforehand. So it was, I was kind of my own production studio in my head, you know, and then that followed me through my career. So I, from my advertising roots back home in Akron, I followed that to LA where I got work um, at um, a commercial studio for VFX. So it was like kind of a side kind of, you know, like I was just switching to the other side of production from the agency side. So it felt like uh, a, a little bit of safe space with my agency with like seven years of agency experience under my belt. It felt like it wasn't totally foreign, you know, mm -hmm. it, besides jumping into LA and all the the newness that brings and jumping into production and all the crazy stuff that has, at least I had some firm footing with, with agency experience. So it wasn't all new. Yeah. And in the timeline of kind of visual effects, what movies would have been out at the time you were doing that transition? So uh, like in a Pixar uh, timeline, are we talking yeah, Toy yeah. Story 1 or? <laughs> well, so, I, so I was born in 81. Jurassic Park was a huge one. Toy Story was a huge one in like the mid nineties, kind of at a very formative age. So like Jurassic Park was 93, Toy Story was 95. And so that kind of set me off on a course. And then, you know, through college, it was kind of the matrix era, you know, when it was like getting kind of mainstream and kind of um, 
big and, but still sort of like you were seeing new things all the time. Like that was a time of pushing the envelope in a really big way. So I think that was just a kind of an interesting cocktail in, in that uh, era. It was like, okay, this feels like you get to be on the upswing of a young industry, which is cool. Um, It was, it was accessible enough for me to be able to take some classes in school, but it still felt very much like a mystery box to a lot of people. And it was like kind of secret knowledge, a little secret society stuff. So it was cool. It felt, um, uh, it felt like the right move at the time, you know, it was kind of just an exciting place to be. I also wanted to get in like monster makeup and stuff as a kid. And this felt like the modern version of that, you know? Right. So you were drawing, uh, with traditional mediums, probably before college, right? So pencil, yeah. paper. I, I was getting into like 3D even in high school. Um, it was just becoming available, like just like barely hitting shelves. Uh, like you mean 3D really as in 3D. like Maya or something like that on a... Uh, not Maya then when okay. I was in high school. Maya came out probably right as I was getting into college, I think. Um, but uh, some of the like the lower end software was like Raydream 3D and, and some things okay. like that, which like four people just went, yeah, Raydream. Um, but <laughs> it's very obscure now. But, you know, like there are a few kind of things like that uh, that I could get my hands on. I was learning Photoshop very young because my dad, I remember going into his uh, agency and he was like, here's our computer. You know, this is like, he went through that era of the swing of, you know, from, from like, photo separation and hand lettering like hand laying of type and sending it off to be professionally uh typeset mm-hmm. and um everything being very analog and photograph based and and everything else he went from like marker layouts and and you know everything traditionally done and then you send it off to be professionally put together which is hard to imagine now mm-hmm. um to vector art i remember someone putting for whatever reason i can picture this moment in my mind like it was yesterday and it sounds so stupid now but it was it was a moment that that just left a impact on me obviously um was there was one girl who not, knew how to use the computer she was young of course right everybody's mm-hmm. gonna be like she was like probably just right out of school and she was learning it she was like the the guinea pig at the at the agency and she had this big stupid beige box you know with a monitor that was probably like you know, 10 inches wide. Um, and she was an illustrator, I think, or something like it. This is before I, anybody knew what the software was, right? Uh, and she put a clip art of a, of like a pocket watch on the screen and changed the color. And my dad was so excited because he was like, can you believe this? And at the time, I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm picking up his excitement because this is new to him too. This is something that yeah. was on the edge of what was possible before. Cause imagine like to be able to change a pocket watch from teal to purple, like she did. This is so silly that I can't believe I can be this specific, but I can picture this moment um, was like to do that in any other way would probably been like a couple days turnaround, you know, with photographs and with separations and with whatever spot color garbage they had to deal with. I don't really fully understand it even, but it was uh, oh God, it was, it was like the bleeding edge of technology. And so when, when it finally got to, to like step up to my dad's plate, he brought home the software and I read through the books and installed the, the, the software on, on our home computer and learned it myself. Cause I was just excited about it. So like digital art has always been something that I loved to get into. I loved to tinker in it and I love to like find 
you know, I was also doing a ton of traditional stuff, of course, but as soon as I could get my hands on digital, it was like exciting because it just felt new and strange and um, like a good challenge. I've always been into technology and, and problem solving and that kind of thing. So it makes complete sense that I ended up in CG for as long as I did. And it's funny that I'm, I'm still in digital art in some way, largely, but it's, I'm in a different part of that industry completely. So you were, so you finished college, uh, coming out of it, big time digital guy, right? Yeah. And then you, at what point did you end up where you ended up? Like, did you go through a few, uh, like elastic you were at for 14 and a half years, 14 and a half years, uh, uh, from basically from the moment I landed in LA until last summer I was there. So it was, I've been in LA for, I don't know, uh, 15 years now. And I've been there basically until, you know, the last, uh, not even year yet. So it was, um, it's, it's such a funny career path. I, I don't necessarily recommend 14 and a half years to anybody, <laughs> but I'm, I'm proud of the time I spent there. Cause it was, um, we went from a small studio. Uh, it was a five, two. When I, when I got there, we branched off elastic, but it was like, a, it, it was under all on the same roof, just different kinds of projects, different kinds of marketing. A five, two was the VFX side. Um, and we also did some of our own design and things. And we kind of just put it under a name as elastic as it got more developed. It doesn't really matter. But uh, yeah, it was a really fun studio. We were, I was the third person in the CG department when I got there. Uh, and we were, I think there were 30 people in the entire company when I first got there. And when I left, we were closing in on 300, I think. Wow. So, I mean, the place changed dramatically and my role within it changed a lot over that time too, you know? So it didn't feel like I was doing the same thing the whole time. So, you know, I went from a CG generalist, you know, a young kid who just wanted to make cool stuff. And, mm-hmm. you know, at a small studio, you end up wearing a lot of hats. So I got, got my hands dirty. Um, and, uh, was within a f- couple of years, I was, uh, I was, leading jobs. I was like the CG lead on most of the jobs that after my like second or third year there mm-hmm. and uh, ended up by the time I left, I had been art director and director of a lot of my projects or, you know, one or the other really. So what kind of work would people know that uh, came out of uh, that studio? And some, some um, Elastic is known, became known for uh, like the Westworld titles, Game of Thrones titles, um, by the time I left, they were well known as a title studio. Um, that was not really my experience of it. Mainly, um, I, I was some of my proudest work was stuff that we did for um, uh, Fantastic Beasts. We did some like um, world building prologue stuff. We did like three films that were like these lovely animated pieces that told the backstory of um, the Harry Potter universe as it reached America. You know, hundreds of years before it before what we knew and watched, you know, with, with Harry Potter himself. So we were kind of widening out the world. We, we got to design characters for, um, we, you know, we sort of got to design like the American uh, version of Hogwarts sort of, we got to like Ilver morning, we got to design, um, you know, characters who are deep in the lore of Harry Potter. And that was kind of fun as a Harry Potter fan, you know, we got, mm-hmm. you know, when JK Rowling's writing your scripts, that's a pretty good day. <laughs> so that was pretty rad. Um, and we also did um, Ben and Jerry spots and things for Arrowhead water. And one of my proudest spots was a job we did for FEMA, um, an animated spot with um, 
directors in Spain. It was just really fun. It was, um, it was a great, I had an awesome experience at that studio and those people are forever. My, my family, I still say we, when I refer to elastic, I can't shake the habit, right. uh, even though I no longer work there, but they're still, they're still my family. I still have a lot of love for those guys. That's awesome. That uh, sounds like a fun experience. I mean, I think a lot of people would like to go through that journey, right? Within one yeah. studio, building it up, um, you know, increasing the numbers by tenfold. And uh, incredible. Did also, you also? I think it gives you a safe space to test your limits and and right. have a lot of support because they were fully in favor of me growing and um, experimenting with my role and getting better at whatever it is kind of I wanted to get better because you know they benefited too. Right. Um, so like if, if they could keep me around and keep me happy and growing and that's, that's all, you know, I think that's all anybody wants to be a creative person who's not just on a treadmill. You want to like make sure you're learning new skills and they benefited from it too. So you did obviously a lot in 14 years various yeah. roles, yeah. various projects. Yeah. What, what is it about that experience that you enjoyed most and i say that in a way that is like what did you enjoy most that you want to be doing next year so what what out of that 14 years did you walk away from thinking i want to spend a lot more time doing this one two or three things yeah um so in that time i uh i the concept art angle of things became central to me over that time you know i went i started as a cg generalist but i was always doodling i was always like designing on things and um they would they would throw me a bone here and there in the first couple of years of like you know design a ufo for this spot design a little thing here and there but it, so it was right away they would pick up that i was pretty good at that stuff um but even then i didn't have a really developed sense of what that role was necessarily i was just it was one of the many hats that i wore and i loved it but it didn't feel like a full um i don't know i think it just didn't occurred to me that that should be the thing that I was doing because at the time I was just throwing myself into learning CG and it was a, a trade that I really loved. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also really loved the illustration. I was happy to be doing both. So I would usually design on the spots that I would then follow through production. So that was cool. I liked to be able to like shepherd the look through and then I was modeling the characters uh, and then also texturing the characters, lighting the characters, leading the teams. So I was really deep in it and I like the whole production pipeline and I was thoroughly involved from like moment one to the very end, including all the mad rush at the end and all the kind of fun creative stuff at the beginning. Um, But it became more important to me and it's all opportunity cost at the end of the day. Right. So Mm -hmm. it became apparent to me that I was more interested in the vision. Um, I was much more interested in designing the characters, doing the concept art for the worlds. And then, you know, you can hand that stuff off to people that you've, that you trust with the vision. And then you can, you know, as a lead, you can help piece through them and hopefully like you can uh, encourage their best work with your vision. Right. I mean, that's kind of the the whole goal. Right. And I didn't, it became less important to me that, to be the one that, with my hands on the final product in that, like um, I didn't have to be pushing the polygons around myself. You know, I could mm-hmm. trust other people to do it well. Um, I think part of that is giving up control a little bit. You know, I think I'm a little bit particular. <laughs> uh, someone's probably going to laugh at the little bit qualifier uh, <laughs> listening to this who I've worked with. I, I'm particular, right? Uh, you know, especially when you're doing the concept about yourself, I think there's just a natural sense of you You can see it in your head before everybody else can, right? Mm-hmm. So you, anything that kind of deviates from whatever's in your head is, is, uh, is challenging. But I came to love 
including as many people in that vision as possible. And because then they bring more love to it and more passion to it. And so it became important to me to not hold on to it too carefully and to and make things too precious. Cause I think that also that's self-defeating, especially when it comes down to working with clients. Cause that's, you're never going to win that battle. Clients mm-hmm. hold the purse strings and they're going to always have the Trump card so they can, uh, they can do whatever they want to the creative. Hopefully you can convince them. <laughs> to, to come with you, but right. not always. Um, so to, to hold things too precious is usually dangerous. Um, and I, I think that was uh, that was probably the most important lesson that I learned. It's you know you learn that lesson over and over and over again throughout a creative career, especially when where there's you know someone hiring you to do some work. But never it doesn't necessarily get easier. You just get used to it. Um, but yeah, the creative the the concept art angle became more important to me. The, the character design aspects became more important to me over the years. At what point did you decide I need to take a different path now? Was it work pulling you away from what you were doing or was it more that you felt that you were constrained or there was growth? And I know that, you know, we're trying to be sensitive to, to all of this, but I, you know, a lot of people who are maybe working now are wondering, you know, you may have a really bad day at work or you may get a call from another agency or someone else saying, "Ah, I've got this great thing for you. How did you kind of level that up in your mind to say, you know, I think I've got to change things now? You know, it's funny. Um, I, I don't have a really clean answer. Uh, it was, oh man, it, my role within the studio changed so many times over the years. And I, I really loved the people that I was working with. That was the thing that kept me on so long. Like no matter what the projects were, it always felt like home. And so, you know, you always want to support your buddies and, and make sure the place is doing well. Cause you know, at some point, the success of the studio was largely built on the backs of a few core people who'd been there for 10 plus years. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was really hard to make that call. And the, the truth is, you know, without, like I mentioned, Elastic became really known for its title work. And, but before that we, I had thought of us as an animation studio, we were getting closer and closer to being an animation studio with ambitions towards, we were, we had been doing a lot of really, lovely subtle character work and i that was the stuff that i found that i was really drawn to those were my favorite jobs but you know there's only so much of that in commercial work it's partially the taste of american advertising you know, it's much more common to, to find the work of the kind that i would prefer in the uk for example or in europe or anywhere else i think animation tends to be viewed as childish in the, here in the States. And unfortunately that's frustrating. You know, like it was so rare that you get like a really cool, fun job. And sometimes it'd start really great and then kind of end up with a scared client. Cause it feels risky. Like, does it feel immature or whatever? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but I would still love those jobs and, and we were just getting fewer and fewer of those boards um, and more and more title work as we became, you know, we're the studio, had kind of multiple teams in it. And uh, my side was more VFX and animation. And the other side was more motion graphics and titles and the titles just got really popular and the scale of that end of things kind of dominated the landscape and it sort of squeezed out stuff that I really loved. Um, There's still some of it that went on, but it was, it was less and less. And also the appetite for it as a general advertising industry was less and less. So it was like, like I, I need to be, going where the work is. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the background this whole time, I had been doing, to scratch the itch, I had been doing a lot of personal work, more and more personal work. 
a lot of illustration and character design and just the things that I wanted to be doing that was fun. Um, it started with me sort of doodling in between renders, waiting for you know, the computer to catch up and just letting it process and stuff. And um, so I would just doodle on my sketchpad and I started to just do more and more and more and more of it. And it would get more elaborate and um, to the point where I started to get a following on Instagram and I started to get job offers, but it never felt like the right time to go. And it also like, you know, there's a sense of, I don't know, what would you say? Sort of uh, insecurity about the quality of my work at the time. Cause it, like it, it got much better really quick over the last five years. I look back at some of my stuff. I just put a book together uh, last year and uh, okay. you know, it kind of makes you look at your, your back catalog and man, uh, it took me uh, a while, basically uh, from the moment I moved out to LA to uh, for the first like seven or eight years, probably I was not really doing a lot of personal work. I was throwing myself into work. And also look, the fact is the industry is, it demands a lot. It demands a lot of hours and, I was tired, you know, when I got home from work. And so I wasn't doing a lot. I would sketch a little bit. I would do a little bit, but it wasn't a consistent practice for me. Mm-hmm. And uh, I made a point um, around 2014 to like, I need to be drawing once a week. Uh, so I made a practice of it. And because uh, I was looking at other people whose work I admired and they were getting really good really fast. I was like, why is this not me? I love doing this. Like this used to be the thing that I did all the time. And how silly is it that I am not doing it? And for years now, and that was really embarrassing. That hurt me in my soul. You know, like it was kind of, you realize you're like, man, what am I doing with this? I'm, I'm, but I was still using my creativity. I was just using it differently right. and for everybody else, you know? And so um, it was sketch dailies. <laughs> it, it was a hashtag on Twitter that got me kind of, to, to do it more often. So I made sure um, on Sundays I would do a sketch dailies or something like that. And were you posting finished work or was it uh, stuff you just semi-finished sketchy okay. finished, you know, um, finished to some degree. It was never complex because it was, it, there was a hashtag a day. Um, so I always wanted to keep up somewhat, mm-hmm. um, but it was, uh, it got me working. It got me to, habituating my work, which I would say was probably the best thing. It was probably the thing that made me improve and find my style more than anything else, but making a habit of it and scheduling it got me out of my funk. Cause you know, like I said, I hadn't been working consistently for myself. And I think this is such a natural, I, I've come to understand my process better with some distance on it. But basically the problem that I had was if you only do like a painting a year, every six months for yourself, mm-hmm. you're rusty. You don't have your, your skills are not, you're, you're not warmed up. You don't really know what to do. There's a lot of self doubt and a lot of frustration because, you know, you have all this pent up anticipation for this piece. And when you naturally don't knock it out of the park, cause you're rusty, you feel really bad. And that feeling lasts for a long time and you're not motivated to make a next one because it didn't feel great. And so then I would leave it another few months, six months or a year to do another one. And that cycle just repeats. Um, and in the meantime, you're not getting any better, right? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm getting, maybe getting better by osmosis because of work and doing things for jobs, but it was never like for me in the way that I loved. And so finally, 2014, I was like, screw this. This is stupid. I don't know why I'm, I'm torturing myself with this. And I made a point to just do it regularly. 
just practice, just make something. And if I didn't like it, I wouldn't post it. And I just kind of, if, if you're going to make, you know, 50, it, say you're going to do one a week, roughly, you got 52 drawings to make a year. And it doesn't matter what quality they are because you have a schedule. Mm-hmm. If you miss, you know, four times out of five, which was probably honestly pretty, very generous at that, at that time, doesn't matter because at least you got, you know, by the end of the year, you're going to have uh, 10 drawings that you didn't hate. Mm-hmm. So it became like a challenge. And just by making a habit of it and having a few hits, you'd be like, oh, that felt good. And, you, and you'd look forward to the next one. And then it also like you'd have a continuity of ideas because you're like, oh, that was cool. Maybe I can follow through with that design idea. Or it was nice to have, for, for reference, I, I mentioned Sketch Dailies, but I didn't mention what it was. It was, a, it was like a daily hashtag topic. So it was like Sketch Dailies would put out like uh, Wolverine or um, Baba Yaga or whatever. It was just kind of like a constant rotating source of prompts. And that helped because then you're not in your head, you know? And then it was also cool because you'd post it uh, with the with the hashtag and then you get to see everybody else's work and how they interpreted the same idea. And so I, you know, became, I got to see my peers and I got to like follow people whose work I enjoyed. And I found a bit of a community and like, it was really positive. Generally speaking, it was really like, it was kind of the art school feeling that I wanted. It was sort of that like positive competition that I missed. And so I, you know, you, back in the day, you'd see like uh, people who are all like leading the industry right now. They're all like at the top of of animation studios now. But it was, um, you know, like Corey Loftus and, and uh, Helen Chen and Ryan Lang and a and, uh, hundred others who are just like top of their of the industry at the moment were kind of figured it out then probably like somewhat young in their careers, you know, six years ago ish, you know, so that like, but it was or kind of like just getting their foothold as designers in the industry. And I was like, Oh, this is cool. So I, but it was, it was motivating and it really got me going. And, and, uh, and I followed through with that momentum in some way or another, I, I stopped doing sketch dailies after like a year or two, but, mm-hmm. um, cause I didn't need it anymore. It was the launching pad that I needed. And it got me to the point where I, the ideas flowed easier. I had more confidence in my hand. I had more, uh, more and better ideas and, I got to experiment because it was like who I was nobody, nobody had any expectations for me. So I just got to like throw stuff out there and experiment. My work was all over the map. But after a couple of years, I was like, I kind of had a bit of an identity growing and I'm like, okay, this feels good. And then you get followers. Like I had a handful of followers, not even many, like a couple hundred though is really cool when you were just zero, like, uh, you know, a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. So it felt like um, it was nice. It was just, it was the nice kind of thing. And it gave me the taste of social media that I enjoy now and it was uh i think it was a good positive version of social media too if you can curate your your um the people you follow it can just be a source of inspiration mostly Mm -hmm. you know and not just poison (laughs) it depends you know everybody's like social media is so poisonous but like it depends on what you make of it that's right depends what you say what you contribute i mean and people make fun of bots right but you know bots don't slam your work (laughs) so Mm -hmm. i don't really have a problem with that um, yeah. so if I can just ask you when you were doing the sketch dailies, were you doing that as uh, like pencil on paper or was it digital or how were you doing those? It was kind of a mix. Um, I think okay. most of it ended up digital. Um, most of it was Photoshop at the time too. Okay. Uh, Cause procreate wasn't really around right in the same way it is now. Okay. Uh, but I did do some procreate stuff back in the day. Um, but I was, um, I kind of followed through that to do 
like once I got my momentum up, I was doing a lot of cafe sketching. And so a lot of that was like in moleskins on paper and um, Mm -hmm. pencil and ink mostly. Mm -hmm. And that was, that became important to me. Uh, like cafe sketching became a really big part of, of my, my practice. And then I would also, so I would usually start it traditionally and then finish it digitally, I guess, back then. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, it's, it's funny because, well, it's, it's not funny, but you know, when you think about the pandemic now, right? I mean, I used to love, yeah. <laughs> I used to pre pandemic, yeah. I, I used to love sketching in coffee shops. Yeah. Sit down, open up my pencil case. So and now, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen with that, right? I I do so much. Well, traditionally, I do so much like based on observation and based on people that I see in the world and going to interesting places to find interesting people. Mm -hmm. And it's like, that's gone, man. I I don't know. You know, I'm I'm busy with other stuff and I'm I'm fine, but it's like that, that is such a consistent part of my, my, you know, usual practice of art that it's hard to fill it in with other stuff right. or life drawing, you know, life drawing is, is fairly common for me too. And I, that's hard to find, you know, you make do, but it's just not the same. Right. So that's what I, I find interesting about your characters is I look at them and I'm thinking, I know him, I know her because <laughs> mm-hmm. they're, you know, they're wonderful, but they're recognizable. They're people that I've seen. Yeah. I remember, you know, so-and-so and, and I just, uh, you know, obviously because you're feeding off of what you're seeing in these coffee shops. Right. Yeah. It's, it's I think growing. there's something, you just get a different, I mean, it kind of, it solves the blank page syndrome. It's good practice Mm -hmm. because you get people being candid, being real. I think a lot of people do studies based on photographs, but photographs are posed. Usually photographs are staged and beautiful people and fashion and lighting. And I think it's great. It's good practice. I I think I, I applaud anybody who's, who's doing any kind of research and drawing from anything, but Mm -hmm. I think drawing from life is a challenge, especially coffee shops because people are moving, they're in and out, they're they're not posing for you, they're not necessarily a willing subject, and so that forces you into capturing an essence really quickly, yes. um, and getting an essence of them as fast as you can, and holding onto it in your head, and understanding something of their body language and their features, and they may be gone in thirty seconds, and you got to put them down on paper or just build a character off of those seeds of an idea. I think that is so useful, and it's just it's as a character designer, as now like a literal professional character designer, that's a really useful tool to build up a useful, cause you're just, I'm just like adding ideas to the, to the, uh, to the files. I'm, I'm just like filing away features and ideas and, and that I can pull out for other, for characters in production. You know, that's so interesting. Cause I had a, a watercolor artist um, on last, last year and she was talking about that as well. Where she's and she she works she focuses on kind of floral design. She does uh, mm-hmm. some work on Canadian money and that. And she was talking about the same thing where she's kind of evaluating her environment as she's walking around and she's putting yeah. things as she's commuting into this vault so that she can reach into. Because I think some people have a problem where you can't get that creativity coming out. And then there's people like you and her who talk about you know this idea that I see stuff and you put it into the vault or you put it yeah. into that area and pull on it. And is that true? Like, do you ever run into problems where you can't? And then at that point, you go out to a coffee shop again and just refill. Yeah, I think it helps for sure. But I can also like go back through my sketchbook and go, oh yeah, there's that. There's this, you know, like I think if you're just drawing pretty people from magazines, you're you're only going to get good at drawing pretty people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, you see it all the time, honestly. I, I, or you see people drawing from their mind's eye, which is also good. I do that too. But if you're not kind of rooting that in something, 
rooting that in some kind of practice and rooting it in real life in some way, mm-hmm. I think you're going to start to flatten out and kind of smooth out and it'll all start to look very similar. So all your pieces will start to kind of be the same character. You see it pretty often, actually. You know, I think some of that is personal style. Some of it is just, I think, lack of imagination because you just haven't filled it. You know, we are filters for our experiences and, and what we observe. And if you don't kind of challenge what's in your head, I think you'll just end up with sort of generic stuff, you know? Imagination is great, but it's great. It's even better when you can inflect it with something that's unexpected and something that's better than what your mind could come up with. Right. So I assume that you use an iPad and Procreate regularly. For most of my work now. For almost yeah. all my personal work, I'm I'm mostly on my iPad. Okay. Uh, as as a as a function of preference and also of um, promoting the brushes and everything else. But it's also because I love the brushes. I know the brushes really well, so it just all makes sense. It's all self-supporting. Right. And so what at what point did you transition to Procreate an iPad? Um, so it was around the time that the first iPad Pro came out in the pencil. The, the big, big 12.9, as yeah. opposed to the 2018 version. Yeah, got, uh, right, smaller. exactly. Yeah. So I, um, I had been using Procreate with, but even before then. Like I said, I, I was often at cafes and... Uh, drawing in my moleskin and stuff. But, you know, uh, like I said, I've always been attracted to technology and everything else. And I always enjoyed my iPads for very, you know, just for stuff and iPad things. And so um, the second I was like, oh, I can draw on this. That's cool. I I jumped into it as as soon as I could um, with like a Jot Touch, which was like an early Bluetooth uh, stylus. It was okay. It was fine. It it did the job kind of well. Never as well as I'd hoped, but it was enough to to get me drawing on my iPad, you know, for a full drawing a few times. And I was like, eh, this, this is good, but it could be better. Um, and I would do like finger paintings on it, you know, while I was watching TV or something, but it was never like, it never became a major part of my um, process until the pros came out and I was like, oh, okay, here it is. Cause you know, like I had, a, I had a Cintiq at home, but it was, it was, it was a 24 inch uh, Cintiq and it was hot. It would, it would just run hot. And it, I would just end up sweating and it was too big and it was obnoxious, it took up all my desk space. And it just wasn't a very pleasant thing to use as, as great as this thing was, it was like, this was kind of the dream product and I hated it kind of. And it was like, there's too much of an air gap. It was laggy. It was slow. It was hot. It just felt a little bit like running a steam engine. It was just like, yeah, it's getting the job done, but if you just kind of feel beat down and tired at the end of it. Right. And I didn't want that feeling. I know it sounds, it sounds so, so spoiled, to have like this beautiful Cintiq, but it was like, it just, the, the promise of it and the reality of it were kind of different. I had one at work too, that I liked more. It was a smaller size and it was less hot and it did the job better. And I still had gripes. And when the pro came out, it was like no lag, um, really, really precise. It just felt more modern felt sharper. And I was like, Oh, this is cool. This, this feels like what I want. And then I can also take it to the coffee shop and do whatever I want and have the ability to color stuff right on the spot. And I'm not going through tons of expensive moleskins, you know, and um, it was just fun. It was much more mobile and I could just go out. And if I had a bad time sketching, I could just, you know, surf Twitter or whatever, you know, <laughs> right. When you started using procreate and uh, the iPad, at what point did you transition to this thought that uh, I love the brushes I love Procreate. I'm putting words mm-hmm. in your mouth here. <laughs> but I want my own brushes. So it was what- literally the night I brought home my iPad. Oh, I really? My first brush. <laughs> it was, um, I, I remember the first 
time I, I used an iPad uh, with the pencil was at the Apple store and they didn't have procreate on the, on, as an app then uh, built in. And so the only thing I could draw on was to evaluate if I wanted to buy one was the notes app. And they had a really good pencil in it. Um, if you tilted the pencil, it gave you like nice shading on the side of the pencil, just like a real pencil. I was like, Oh, this is great. And when I got procreate, I loved the app. I'd been using it for years a little bit. Um, but the pencils didn't quite feel the way I wanted. And I really liked that notes pencil, but I didn't want to be doing art in notes. Obviously mm-hmm. I was like, so just as a goof, I was like, well, let's see if I can make the notes pencil in procreate started fiddling with stuff. And I was like, and by the first night I made the first brush and I was like, Oh, that wasn't so bad. And, I, and so I, it just felt better than the default brushes. And I started going for it. And, um, and then, so I like, I had probably a dozen brushes made just cause I was just goofing around and wasn't really in love with the default brushes. They're fine. Um, I used them, but they weren't usually my, my preference. Um, and so I just started posting work on social media and people would ask like, you know, what, where'd you get those brushes? They don't look like my procreate brushes. I'm like, yeah, no, they're mine. <laughs> and they're like, can you buy them? I'm like, no, <laughs> buy them. What are you kidding me? <laughs> um, and so I, uh, I think, after about a year of getting hounded, <laughs> I, I threw up a free Dropbox link. I just like, I just take them. Who cares? They're just brushes. What does it matter? Right, man. If I knew, known what I was sitting on, <laughs> uh, but it was, uh, it was never something I took really seriously because I was, it felt like a hassle. It was like, eh, I don't know. Do I want to be doing customer service? And then like taxes are going to get weird. And I just, eh. I was just being stubborn mm-hmm. and I could, I, I couldn't picture it. Right. And I was, you know, I was making good money at my job and I kind of just didn't want the distraction anyway. So um, after, you know, a year of that or so, I was like, eh, screw it. I'll just put them up for five bucks or whatever. Um, and they did really well or not really well, but they were, it was enough to, to make some, some extra scratch. And it, that was like, oh, oh, maybe there's something here. Might as well make another pack. Um, Cause I was kind of always making brushes. And then um, I made the comics pack was like the first proper pack that I made as like a product. The first two were just, pre- were just packs that I, so like it was the essentials pack and the painters pack were, were the first two that I, I kind of just had them. I kind of brushed them up and polished them and tested them a little bit more, named them, organized them and threw them up, put them on Grim Road, made a website and all that stuff. And the, but the comics pack was the first one I was like, okay, this is like a proper release. And it did really well. I was like, oh man, maybe this is a thing. Maybe this is something to not just like, ignore and and uh started to do really well and then uh the gouache pack kind of blew my mind that was like oh this is this is basically uh this is last year so this is catching us up to the end of my career uh at elastic and so i started to get enough money where i was like starting to um really take notice and the gouache pack landed really huge while I was on my exit plan from work. Basically my social media had been getting big enough at this point. Um, thanks in part to the brushes, I think. And also just because, you know, they helped spread my name a little bit to people who wouldn't have necessarily found me because that now there's people like retweeting me and talking about my brushes, but because they were, they were using, they were just mentioning me in the tweets, me directly, not the brushes, not, they were saying Max Eulogini brushes, not Max Pax brushes. Cause I didn't have name recognition. I picked max pack cause it's max packs because it's usually 
less difficult to pronounce than my name. <laughs> right. So they're mentioning me directly. And I think a lot of people found me because of that. And I was starting to get a little bit of attention from studios. And this is like after I had done CTN the first time. Um, and so CTN is a, uh, oh, for those yeah. who don't know, that's a, like a trade show or a, yeah, not trade show. Well, I guess it's a trade show, right? It's like an entertainment art um, convention, basically. Okay. I, I guess that's that's kind of the way I think of it. Um, there's a lot of like illustrators, comics artists, but mainly sort of like animation industry centered kind of thing. Call it concept artists and visual development artists, which is kind of like the animation version of concept artists. Right. Um, so it's kind of artists like me. If you if you know my work, if you, it, it's you know sort of people like generally speaking within my my industry genre. Mm-hmm. And so. I don't know. It started, I just started to get attention um, from recruiters and stuff and it didn't quite feel like it was time to go, but I was like, Oh, maybe this is time. They, they didn't even know that I did CG at this point because my social media, my art didn't look anything like the stuff I was really making professionally anymore. Um, It was a lot of like realistic VFX things or, you know, car spots or titles or, you know, things that it was, it was different every time. So nobody, and I often thought it felt like a distraction from the illustration work that I was posting on social media. So like, you know, why put up a, a GE spot that I directed when they're here for my character designs, right? right. So I'm like, eh, keep it, keep it kind of looking consistent. And, uh, and I started to get attention. So I, I was like, oh, maybe this is, this could be a real thing. Um, always a little bit of like insecurity of changing careers and feeling like you're an outsider, but, you know, started to realize that like, maybe this is not so silly and uh, started to get offers to, to, be in magazines, uh, magazines that I'd loved like, um, character design quarterly, which is very, very specifically up my alley. <laughs> but you know, the, when the first ones came out, I'm like, Oh man, how do I get on this? And about a year later I, I got in, um, which was exciting. That's cool. And I think that started like, and then, so like last year I got published, I want to say five, six times, something like that. It's so many that I lost count, which is incredibly wow. lovely. It sounds such a humble brag. Um, but it was, uh, it was really incredibly flattering. Um, all this stuff happened really, really fast. Um, social media kind of exploded, brushes exploded, um, publications took notice, recruiters were calling. I had offers before, um, kind of like decent, okay VFX industry offers in the past. And I was like, you know, it felt like a lateral move, but this felt like a move in the, direction of work-life balance in a bigger way. I love character design. I love animation. I always wanted to be in animation. Mm -hmm. I wanted Elastic to be an animation studio. Um, And when I started to realize that that's just not the trajectory it was on, Mm -hmm. doesn't mean it was bad for the studio, but it wasn't where I wanted to be. I guess the industry momentum was pulling in a direction. It was that snowball rolling down the hill and it wasn't going the direction you wanted to go, right? Yeah. I'm happy for the studio. I'm happy it's healthy and doing well. And, you know, if that's the best thing for the studio, more power to him. But it didn't suit me anymore. So it was time to go. I launched the gouache pack around the time that I was making plans to leave. And it, um, let's just say it gave me the freedom to leave without fear. Um, it was like, I can, I can take off and I'll be totally fine. And if I don't get a job right away, I'm covered. So I was really excited about that. Because it gave me, look, the brushes were always about, empowering artists and in this, and they became a thing that empowered me right to take on smarter creative choices that suited me as an artist and not 
just me as a person who has to pay bills or has to climb a corporate ladder in order to get the thing that I wanted. Right. You know, it became a thing where I could say no to DreamWorks and no to Netflix. And I ended up saying yes to Netflix, by the way, I'm currently <laughs> Netflix. But at the time, I turned down a really exciting job in New York. They wanted me to come on to a film and everything else. DreamWorks wanted me to come on to a TV show. And I'm like, what an insane thing in my life where I'm, it's probably smarter for my career at this moment to say no to them. Like this was the dream job in many cases. And I was like, ah, it just doesn't feel right right now. And I had to go with my gut and trust it and say like, look, this is an opportunity to grow my business, to invest in brushes, help other people make their work better. And also like find some work-life balance. So for, I don't know, the last like nine months or so, the brushes have been the business, have been my, my paycheck. Plus like some freelance work from, from magazines, uh, for Imagine Effects and 3D Total and Firestarter and Procreate commissions for marketing and things. So it was like all the projects that I would say no to because I valued my, my, um, my free time mm-hmm. was, was my free time was like my most precious resource, you know, uh, over the course of the time at a 2 and Elastic, look, it demanded a lot of hours. It just did, you know, like... Right. If you don't push back, they will take all the hours you're able to give them. And I, I don't think that's, I don't think I'm speaking ill of the studio. I think that is just true of the industry generally. Mm-hmm. Those things are shoestring budgets and, you know, razor thin margins and things go wrong in production, right? So like renders go wrong and the end of a job is often chaotic and, and ended up with me in kind of a bad emotional state with like bad anxiety and not taking great care of myself. And I was in a really rough spot. So if I could take a moment to correct and kind of jump off that, jump out of the rat race and like Mm -hmm. be a person and say yes to all the projects that I had had to say no to, because I just didn't have anything left at the end of the day, Mm -hmm. that was the best thing to do for myself. So for the last, uh, you know, year and change or so I, I, I've been, uh, trying to find some balance, trying to redefine myself as an artist. Um, I'll be honest, like I, I, like I said, I'm working at Netflix right now and it's mm-hmm. absolutely kind of a dream project with incredible people. And even though the circumstances are weird, given the current, you know, COVID moment, yeah, I was hesitant to take it because it was like, I ha- you know, I have my freedom and it was, it's really incredible to, that's such a that's such a rare thing to be able to hold on to, right? So if I can, I don't know, it, it felt like I, this is the thing I've been fighting so hard for to jump back into a job felt like, oh man, is this a mistake? Um, you know, the brush is doing well enough where I can say no to things. and But I, I said yes, because I was excited about the project creatively. You know, it was fun and it's, and the hours are obviously regular and normal because it's, it's a union job and it's been great. So like, I'm glad I took it because it was, you know, but you know, there's also sort of a PTSD angle of, of like working on full-time jobs. And uh, I, I guess I don't mean to speak ill of, of a or elastic by saying right. PTSD, but you know, the fact is it was hard and it was hard because I let it be hard and it was hard because I cared and I threw a lot of myself into it. Right. So I'm not blaming it on them. I put a lot of it on myself, but I was just afraid to kind of fall into similar habits, you know, as much as anything else. Can you talk about what you're doing at Netflix at this point? I'm a character designer um, on a film. I don't think I can, I don't know if I can talk about the project. I see other people talking about their projects, but without explicit permission, I'm going to avoid that, but it's really lovely. It's really exciting. Um, It's with 
a couple of directors that I'm fond of that I was fans of before, okay. uh, before this project. So when they came knocking, I'm like, well, how, how do I say no to this? You know, I'd love to have you back and be able to talk about that once we, uh, we can watch it. <laughs> yeah. I'd love to It'd be fun. Um, it, I'm really excited. Cause I mean, it's, I'm, we're, we're just right at the very beginning stages of the film. I bet we're not even two months in or something like that. Um, this was, it was all taking off right as the lockdowns were taking hold. So, uh, you know, there's, I think a little bit of like a pause as everything went remote. Um, but basically like we're in the first basically essentially month of character design and, and finding the look of the film. So it's really exciting to be truly in on the ground floor, you know? So I think you've, you know, expressed interest in um, like children's books and, and yeah. that kind of stuff. Is it a genre that you have interest in? Uh, it is. Um, it, okay. I think it's one of those, it's family friendly, but it's also got a little bit of like a weird edge to it that I'm really fond of. So awesome. it's, it's not just like saccharine sweet, uh, you know, g-rated family programming i mean maybe it'll be g-rated at the end of this i don't know but right. it's uh it, it's it's weird and, and strange enough where it's it's got a lot for me to to uh to find a lot of interest in the characters are super strange in the best way like in in the most character designer friendly kind of way and they look a lot like the stuff that i would be drawing for fun i mean they they found me because they liked the kind of weirdos that i like to draw um and it just so happens that they need weirdos for their film so i'm like came to the right place man that's I, awesome I, yeah. <laughs> so I, you know one of the characters looks like something that he's right in my right in my oeuvre <laughs> so <laughs> so you funny. you may have already posted one of these characters in your instagram and we won't realize until the show comes out <laughs> <laughs> i mean hopefully you know when this thing comes out you'll see some of my it'll it'll look familiar my hope is that someone would be like Oh man, it makes sense that Max worked on that, you know. Okay. So that's really exciting. And really, the to, to be designing on the main characters of a film is is absolutely a dream come true. Like that's, I always thought I'd have to to climb up the ladder a little bit to to get to the point where I'm doing doing feature character design on main characters and not just like extras and not just kind of like playing the game, right? But I think Netflix, um, they've been really good at hiring interesting talent. I'm not saying that to toot my own horn at all, but I think they mm-hmm. see. Um, I don't know. There's just the sense of like gatekeepers in the main studios. And it feels like you just kind of have to pay your dues. Even if I'm a 38 year old coming in, paying my dues and have having had designed characters for 15 years for commercials, it's like, well, did you do it in, in animation specifically? And if I had to say no, then they're like, well, you got to start at the beginning. And I'm not, I know that's not explicitly true, but it is like it's the feeling I get is it almost feels like they just want to, just make you sort of, uh, I don't know, be humble a little bit for a minute, even if right. it's like, I don't know. I, I had I had a couple of people kind of like, it's, it felt like they're checking me a little bit. I'm like, you know, like it's not it's not personal, but like I have a lot of experience doing exactly this kind of job, and it, it's weird to be told that like it doesn't count because it wasn't with us, you know. Yep. For Netflix, I think like Netflix seems to be smart about who they who they hire and it seems like they have vision and they don't seem to be precious about being gatekeepers or, you know, yeah. it seems like they just like the people they like and they let people define themselves that way. Yeah. I'm seeing a lot of that conversation happening. I wonder, I wonder how Apple is because Apple's trying to do some of this stuff as well, right? Some of their own production. Uh, you know, it, I, don't, I wonder if they're actually doing their, 
I don't know enough about this, so maybe I shouldn't right. talk to this. But like, I, I think Apple are working with other studios, and then they're acting as distributor mostly. Okay. I know they have their hands in production, so I know they're they're kind of directing the content to an extent, or you know, guiding the content and what they want out of it. Certainly, mm-hmm. um, as producers of it, but I think generally speaking, they're they're working with outside studios like like DreamWorks and like others, and you know that kind of thing. Right. 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 Good point. So I wanted to, and I have to say this, I bought your brushes. I don't know how many Max Packs I've bought, but <laughs> I've, I've bought them. And they are fantastic. I bought the gouache. I bought the watercolor that you did, uh, that you released just into the new year here. Yeah. And I have to say, hearing this story, I am so glad I bought them. I'm so glad that I contributed in some small, tiny way to your transition and in supporting your move to where you are now. So I, I think I think that that makes me feel good. I think uh, for the person listening right now, like it's it's wonderful. It's wonderful that you can help an artist um, get to where they need to be, where they want to be uh, in in a way that is not going to break the bank. And they are wonderful brushes. And I have to say that, you know, the Procreate 5 pack is incredible. Did you really feel the big difference in going to that new brush engine in 5? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's yeah. a dramatic difference. I, I think the Procreate engine was one of the most interesting and like uh, flexible and powerful brush engines before. Mm-hmm. Um, you could do a lot more with, with less nonsense. You know, like uh, the Photoshop brush engine is extremely powerful, but it's also extremely fiddly and complicated. Um, the Procreate engine was simpler but i think you can get a lot more out of it in a way um before this um but then when the procreate 5 brush engine came out it's like i mean it's night and day i mean it 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 just like you could do things in it to make watercolors especially that were just unheard of previously it was kind of not really possible to do watercolors well until this but now it's like it's i think by far the best brush engine in in the game besides things like like fresco is interesting yeah in the sense that it can do like live blending. And I'm like, eh, it's, it's, it's a cute trick. It's, I think it's cool, yeah. but I think the end result still looks kind of digital to me. Um, but the engine is really interesting from the, from the physics standpoint. But mm-hmm. in my experience, it's the thing that I want out of watercolor is the aesthetic and not the unpredictability. I want it. If I want to put a brush mark down, I, like I want that stroke to go where I put it and right. stop. I don't need it to like, because I, I, I can paint with real watercolors if I want that, you know. Right. If, if I wanted to do like cool flowy tricks, I'll just pick up real watercolors. Yeah. In the case of Procreate, I just want the aesthetic of watercolor wherever I've got my iPad, and that usually is at sketch at, at sketching at cafes or something like that. Right. But I can also, you know, use real watercolor if I need to. And there's also other apps that do that stuff very well. I'm not trying to beat those. I'm just trying mm-hmm. to make great tools for the program that I prefer. That's right. all it is. Right. You know, and I think at the end of the day, I think they look at least as good as those and they're fully predictable. You know, I mean, you got to learn a couple of tricks that I'm not saying they're the easiest brushes to use because, you know, watercolors aren't the easiest thing to use. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, you know, I don't think it's too much to ask people to learn how to use the tools to get the best results out of them. You know? Yeah, I'm uh, I'm still struggling with watercolor. I've been trying watercolor and gouache for the last year and uh, like physical one. Uh, they're hard. They they are hard. Uh, I you know I'm coming from loving pencil. Like I I do so much work in pencil and graphite, um, not colored pencil. 
And I, I love it because I love the detail. I do a lot of illustration of animals and birds and things like that. And uh, it's really hard for my mind to accept that the watercolor is going to wander over there. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. that's not where I want you to be right now. Yeah. Uh, are you blending it with pencil much, or are you just trying to go all watercolor? I'm doing all watercolor. I've done some urban sketching, which has been liberating yeah. for me. Um, so that idea of just throwing down a bunch of ink and then throwing watercolor on top for yeah. me feels much. I, I'm much happier doing that than just doing straight watercolor. But it's just because I haven't spent enough time with it, and sure. um, you know, I, I'm a good, you know first step to of like get comfortable with. Kind of having, like, I, I just put a YouTube tutorial out that's pencil and watercolor, basically. Digital pencil and watercolor, but it's pencil and watercolor. Um, and, I, you know, because I would approach it the same way in my sketchbook as I would digitally, more or less. And I think having tight pencils and a wash means you can be, you can, you can kind of take the pressure off the watercolor. They don't have to carry the full burden because then that way you can have nice tight pencils and then color it and have a little bit of, like, the best of both worlds where you don't have to take on the full challenge of watercolor. You can kind of add it and, and hopefully not ruin your good pencils <laughs> at the same time. And look, we've all been there. Yeah. Um, but there is that sense of, um, hello, if you wanted to, you could take a photo of it, paint it up and, and procreate and then use it as a test bed to plan your painting and then get into the, the traditional stuff after the fact, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, um, and for me, it's always a battle. Like, is if you were to go somewhere for three or four days over a weekend, and you wanted to bring your art supplies, would you just bring an iPad, or would you still bring paper and pencil? I think it depends. It's it's such a funny um, incentive to be selling brushes. It's added in. It adds an incentive that everything I paint feels like it should be kind of a marketing sample for the brushes, yeah. which I don't love all the time. Sometimes I just want to draw for fun, and mm-hmm. but I'll pick a brush that's recent in order to promote it. So, so here's a question for you along that line then, because I, I find that social media has such an impact on what we draw and what we paint. <laughs> yeah. Right. And I've talked about this, this idea, like I, I tend to want to post works in progress because I think I, when, love doing that. I love seeing that from artists as well. Yeah. I don't, you know, when you f- show only finished products, people are only seeing the last 10 minutes of your work. Right. Yeah. And, I like to see the works in progress, but I also feel that, you know, I don't have a huge follower count, right? So if I decided I'm going to just do ink for the rest of the year, no one's, you know, some people will leave. I'll have some more people join. It's fine. When you get a larger following, that change is heavier. And so that, I think that plays into this whole, your personal brand, right? That if you decide, let's say that you're going to do a different brush pack or you're going to switch to traditional media at that's that's crazy. Let's skip that. <laughs> I don't think you would switch to traditional media and drop digital, but um, I mean, I, you know, I I do, I you know, I want to use it more, honestly. But I, there is an incentive to use my brushes because it it feels like a missed opportunity to sell my brushes, right? Which isn't necessarily true. I still do oils to an extent. I'm trying to get back into oils. I still do figure painting in charcoal largely, but I'm using my brushes more too. And partially this is also like to test my brushes and find where they break and where I can improve things. But it's also, you know, it is, it's a reason to, to use them if it helps, you know, sell the brushes too. It's kind right. of a weird Hydra or Hydra What's Ouroboros, I guess. That's okay. Yeah. I think it would be, and you know, maybe that's exciting too, right? All of a sudden you produce three or four pieces and 
it's brushes that nobody's seen before, right? Everyone's yeah, like, what's what, going on? That's my favorite thing to do, honestly. It's like the first time you drop, you get to tease new things. The hype is hilarious. It is so much fun to manipulate that. It really is. Mm. Um, it feels like such a tease. It feels so cruel, but I, I really do kind of love that 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 moment where like, oh my God, the new pack is coming. And then it's just like the hard work of fiddling with sliders for six months <laughs> behind the scenes. But it's fun. It's like the only, it's the most, it's probably the closest I'll ever get to, <laughs> to like standing on stage at a rock concert, <laughs> as, as, you know, like play the first beats of a song that people are like, Oh, this is new. I don't know this one. You know, and they're like, Oh, cool. And then it's just like, you know, but the reality of everything leading up to that point was like, yeah. sound checks before that then also like mixing in a studio and like you know like fiddling with with filters and all that garbage that goes on in the studio it's like there's like hard work behind this stuff like i spent a long time in the watercolor pack because it was the first one that i did without a job it was the first one that i did with no safety net and so i threw everything into that pack and i think it shows in the product i put a yeah. ton of work into it well i think um, it showed with the product and and the way that you came to it you could you could you could see and and hear the passion in the way you were describing it, but you could also you could almost hear you kind of rubbing your hands together and grinning in the background. Yeah, about people being so wound up about this new pack coming yeah. out in January, and I was one of those people. It's like, come on, <laughs> can you just, <laughs> yeah, know, yeah. can you just release it now? Um, yeah. But that was it's fun, and it was worth. I mean, it was worth the wait, but uh, it was that was a cool uh, that was cool to be able to watch you uh, kind of go through that. Yeah, yeah, thanks. I was trying to release them for Christmas. Um, I ended up releasing them on New Year's just because, like, I just found some bugs and found some weird things, and you know, it just it wasn't quite in the cards. But it was a, uh, I wanted it to be a surprise, but it didn't quite happen. So, are you planning uh, any more kind of workshops or tutorials? Uh, like, yeah. Um. So the 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 goal for me this year is um is tutorials on YouTube and Gumroad. So I, I want to. I'm trying to find my voice and trying to figure out some kind of get, just get my feet wet a little bit with YouTube. Generally speaking, I really like, like the mission of the brushes has traditionally been to empower artists. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's been to help people make their art better, you know, give them good tools, help them feel confident when they sit down to make something. Um, And also I think using a unique brushes is helpful for inspiration and just try to like challenge your style a little bit. That stuff really works for me. If I'm stuck, I'll, pick a weird brush randomly and try to, especially I'll pick hard brushes to use sometimes just to like give myself a challenge because it tends to like work a different part of your brain. Mm-hmm. Where was I going with this? Oh yeah, sure. So um, I always want to make sure that I'm like helping people make their best work. And I think YouTube is a way to do that. It is a way to like help explain the brushes, the, the watercolors, especially, like I said, they're not the easiest brushes to use. I think having a guide on how to use them will help people get the most value out of them. That is important to me. And I've got brush guides and proper like tips and tricks coming with that stuff. They're not out yet, but they're coming, but it's, so it's important to me to, to make sure that people get the most out of the brushes they already own. But also like, I want to make sure that I'm teaching people evergreen art stuff. That's not just related to procreate and my brushes. I want to make sure that people are learning good technique and uh, cool ideas that'll help them, in whatever it is they're making, whatever their style is. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really exciting to me. YouTube is going to be really fun. And it's it's kind of a fun project to throw myself into in the middle of quarantine when, man, 
it's like just to be stuck within the four walls of your apartment. It's nice to have just a weird project to take up your brain. Right. <laughs> so that YouTube right. has been great for that. Um, but also I'll have Gumroad stuff. That's probably going to be deeper dives on big meaty topics like color theory, lighting, character design. Mm-hmm. I'll touch on a lot of that over the course of YouTube and it'll all probably, you know, help to a certain degree or another, but if you want to get really deep and like, listen to me for an hour or two, that'll be Gumroad. So like, that'll be the most like school kind of version of my work right. with like deep explanations and more like examples and counter examples and stuff. But YouTube would be more like case studies and kind of fun hanging out, talking art kind of stuff, things that don't really go well on Instagram, you know, don't really fit well on Twitter. Um, I want to have that be kind of a conversational space, something that feels a little bit closer to hanging out with me at, Lightbox or something like that, where right. you can just get to know me a little bit. So this year is kind of is about me giving back to the community and trying to be the person behind the art and the brushes as, you know, in a, in a more personal and open kind of way. That's so cool. that's, that's really exciting for me. And then also uh, who knows what's going to happen now, but I had, uh, we were making plans to do two European uh, workshops, which was really exciting. One in, Amsterdam and one in Spain. And I don't know what the heck is going on with those given the, you know, right. Current situation. So I, I, I can't say that I know what's going on with that. I am going to be live streaming next week. I think oh. it's next week. I don't remember what day now. I'm already losing track. Um, with, uh, with, uh, playgrounds is going all playgrounds is kind of a similar, um, events, but it's going online streaming. I'll be doing something, uh, that I'll announce soon. I like, I was just, we're just getting off the ground with that. So in the next, uh, I think in the, within the next week, I'll be streaming for them. Should be fun. Cool. That'll be, uh, uh, we will have launched the show. Uh, so this would oh, yeah. be in the past, but I'm sure you would be doing more after that. So yeah. I want to ask you, you mentioned Lightbox. Lightbox is this, Lightbox is this conference of creators um, yeah. that happens similar, I guess, to CTN. Similar, similar to CTN, I think with a different, It's it's got a broader broader set of industries it's got more comic book artists um different angle different aspects of kind of entertainment and illustration that kind of thing and that's in november is it uh it was going to be september and it has now been canceled it just got canceled Uh, it'll be online only at least um the details of which are incoming this literally just got canceled i think last week wow Uh, just given circumstances man it's hard yeah i was going to ask you like just on that point do you think this is going to be do you think as creators will find ways around this, like this idea that conferences are, you know, are going to be either non-existent or happen completely differently. Now, do you think that's going to be, do you think that's going to hurt the up and comers? Do you think that's going to hurt the industry? I I think as I think this is hopefully a momentary blip and we'll get back to something semi-normal. I think this is good in a lot of ways though, because I mean, look, conventions, are so exciting because you get to meet people in person and it's such a densely packed source of inspiration. But the fact is the internet does that too, right? It's not as personal certainly, Mm -hmm. but streaming is a great way to get access to a person and see them work. If you know, for the sake of panels and talks and stuff, you can get a lot of the best parts of that without too much trouble with streaming and, and well-organized events. I don't know if the the events are going to be, great right off the bat. I'm sure we'll figure out better ways to do things um, over the next, you know, 
few months as people kind of experiment with the format. Um, but more, I'm noticing a ton of artists are streaming, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. A ton of art, which I think they're doing out of boredom, frankly, and also out of ways to like extend out to their audience and kind of help people in difficult times. I think it's been a very generous time for artists and creatives and seeing people giving away tutorials for free doing huge discounts on their training, which has been really exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think hopefully we'll see things that kind of bridge the gap a bit. My YouTube is trying to be an aspect of that. I'll be streaming there. I'll be um, trying to reach out in ways that get at least part of the way, take a few steps away from the anonymity of a social media Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of uh, impersonality. So I, hopefully more people will do that. Hopefully this will be a, a good time to like get to know your favorite artists in a way that you didn't know them before. I, I'd love it if things like Lightbox um, give better access. Like um, Lightbox are just starting to put their talks online from last year. So my talk, I gave a 45 minute talk on character design and things that, I saw that. just went up. So yeah. I think things like that, hopefully we'll just have instant access to things some more similar to that. But, you know, like Q&A is really exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, I've streamed with Procreate before and um, to have a moderator in your ear and feeding you the audience questions is a great way to do that. Yeah. So I think really the difference is you just don't don't get to shake my hand at the end of it. But, right. you know, I'm still up on stage. What's the difference between that and the video? It's not huge. Well, the cool thing is, too, I could be sitting here with my iPad doing what I'm doing, following along, right? So yeah. Yeah, exactly. You can't necessarily do that. Pausing, yeah, you know, getting a drink. Right. You need to. so, like, I, I think, I think conventions will still be uh, exciting. Still be the kind of preferred way to go. I, mm-hmm. I loved doing them. Lightbox was extremely fun, but it's also incredibly exhausting. I mean, it is a huge demand on your time, and and it's hard. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely hard. But I wouldn't have it any other way. I loved it. Absolutely loved meeting people and. Um, like I made real friends at Lightbox, and that's so cool. So I don't think you can really quite replicate that. I think for artists, it is that's the best way to do it. It's so hard to break through and message someone and have it be like a real personal connection. But I, you know, I have people that I still hang out with now from that I who I actually connected with at Lightbox properly. Um, that so I think for as an artist to artist resource, that's unparalleled. But I think from from a to your favorite artists, I think we can find ways to get closer to that. I think it's, you know, it's still asymmetrical. It's not like if you're streaming, you're not really meeting your audience in the same way. And that's what I loved about Lightbox was just meeting and talking to people and nerding out on common interests. And, but, you know, I, I, there'll always be next year, hopefully, and, and more conventions like it, but hopefully we'll find way to like, to reach a broader audience online and also have yeah. the specificity and, and, and the intimacy of, of in-person stuff too. The, the live streaming is certainly challenging still because, uh, you know, I'll join live streams. I've done live streams myself where I'm drawing. I did one where I drew with Procreate an eagle while I was talking to a, um, a, a scientist, a researcher, and a photographer mm-hmm. who photographs bald eagles. So he talked about the eagles and I drew one. Um, and so that was an interesting, this kind of sci art combination yeah. has been something I've been exploring. I also did one with a, uh, an entomologist. So she was talking about spiders and she has three in her, 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 her house. And so she's handling them while I'm drawing one. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, uh, it was crazy fun, but it was, I, I drew a jumping spider and, wow. uh, I didn't do it. I didn't do it start to finish. I was working on one 
Um, sure. But the Eagle, I did start to finish, and that was over a couple hours. But um, that's awesome. Yeah, it's. I, I think there's this kind of creative ways, but the challenge you have, you know, I don't have a huge following, but when I join ones where there's, uh, when I join these live draws, when there's a large following, it is challenging because you see all the questions kind of scrolling up. And you're thinking, how do I inject my question in there, right? And other people are maybe just saying hi or whatever, and you've got a, a real yeah. valid question. And it would be good to kind of leverage or, or provide that as a premium feature that allows people to kind of inject those and say, you know, Max, I have this question. It's a really good question. Can it be triaged as being more important than the hellos or yeah. hi, this is so-and-so from Florida or whatever, right? So I think that's where a moderator is so helpful. Yeah, I agree. You know, because, because it's also, I want to have access to people who, don't necessarily have five bucks to, to throw up in a super chat, you know, right, right. like that's, it's, it's sweet that people want to support their favorite artists or whatever in, in a stream and give them a few bucks to ask them a question. But it's like that economy is a little bit, it's, well, it's limiting for the people who have good questions and can't afford to yet. Right. So mm-hmm. um, if they can, great, that's awesome. But if they can't, I'd love to have the ability to get to those questions without, you know, the kind of constant fire hose of, of comments. Not that I have that in my streams, but I see that in, in more popular streamers. It's a natural problem and that's unfortunate, you know? So I'm, I'm mindful of time. I, I'm, I wanted to ask you, what is the, what is maybe the one thing you know now that you wish you knew when you started this art yeah. journey? Um, I think going back to that aspect of habituation of, of just having a, a regular practice and not necessarily a high pressure, have to finish a like a huge developed piece kind of idea. I, if I think just having, I'm really I, I, what I would recommend to anybody, and especially myself, is I wish I had made a point to just make something weekly or even monthly. I think would be enough. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if you space it out too much, it, it becomes challenging to keep up um, momentum, and and you're kind of sort of starting again from scratch, you'll start to feel the kind of rustiness come in after like two, three months. Um, I'm not working super regularly right now. I'm sketching, uh, you know, as much as I can, but it's also like, I'm also throwing myself into videos and other things that are taking my time that I think are worth it. Or I'll get into like hardcore brush stuff and not do a lot of art for maybe a period. But I think at least, especially when you're trying to find your footing, when you're trying to find your voice, the way that I found my style mm-hmm. was constant regular practice and I, and to take the pressure off and have it not be about the success or failure of every individual drawing, but to just put the work in, just put one foot in front of the other was the most important thing. And I know it made me tons better as an artist. It like, that was the only thing that made me better. Studying anatomy is great. All the other stuff is great. Like all the constant kind of academic stuff is absolutely hundred percent valuable. But the thing that made me the artist that I am is mm-hmm. regularity. And so if I asked you for homework for the listener, would that be it? <laughs> I think that would be it. But, yeah. you know, I guess if you wanted something more specific to aim at it. Yeah. Under normal circumstances, I would say try cafe sketching or sketching at the park or drawing from life in some way or another. I think that the thing that I really enjoy about that is I'm not doing that with the, with the subject in mind. I'm not trying to flatter the subject. I mentioned I, I worked as a caricaturist, so a lot of this comes from that practice. But um, oh, which I, I don't think I mentioned, I did that through college. That was kind of like my my random weekend. Every you know, like I did it a handful of times a year. Um, and I really enjoyed that. Um, but it was uh, that has stuck with me 
for for a long time as I just love to do character design based on life. I just think it's the ultimate challenge. Or you know, it could be like if you're a landscape painter or whatever it is. Like I would just draw from life if you're able. That could be still lives if we're stuck in stuck indoors. That could be you know playing YouTube videos and trying to draw the people in the YouTube videos or something like that. I think there's something about not knowing the person that you're drawing because I think it's hard to see people objectively if you know them well. Right. That is a that's a trap to uh, the like the constant like draw me like one of your French girls kind of things is really hard because like if you know the person you're drawing, it's extreme because you don't necessarily truly see them objectively. I think you you see them with preferences and you see different aspects of them. And it's really hard to draw like a girlfriend or something like that for, in my experience, because you're, you're trying to flatter a little bit. You're trying to be nice, but also like the th- the way that I draw in cafes, I'm often exaggerating things about people in a way that I wouldn't want them to see. And it's not necessarily being mean. It's not that I'm being unflattering intentionally. Right. It's that like, I might be attracted to a feature that is more interesting if I twist it in a certain way or exaggerate the proportions of the face. And it may not even make them look like themselves in the end, but it makes for a better character design. It makes for a better piece of art. So like studying from life and having it rooted in actual observation, but maybe pushing the creative interpretation in a way that is only for you is probably the best way. At least if you're interested in character design, I think that is the purest form of both ends of the, of the, of the practice. I did a, in October, I, I started drawing people as witches. So that could be one way to do it where you almost have to make them ugly. Um, so even if you were drawing someone in your house to say that I'm going to draw you as a witch to be unflattering is part of the game so that it kind of takes the pressure off like trying to, so like if you made them ugly, it's a joke, right? Right. Um, instead of trying to make them pretty or trying to make them look like, the way they want to see when you turn the page around. If you can say like, that's, that's one way out of it, I guess. So if you're stuck inside and you're quarantining with someone with your family or, or, you know, loved one or something, maybe make that part of it, maybe interpret them as something else. That's not just them. So that you have the ability to have to do something to them where you don't have to like be nice. I think is kind of a cool way to do it. Yeah. That'd be fun. Something like, or draw a pet, you know, you, pet, yeah. your pets are going to be offended if you make its nose that's, huge. That's right. <laughs> True <laughs> enough. Something like, that. like your pet doesn't care if it looks fat. So, <laughs> I, you know, that's uh, just that freedom to, to push. I think that like, you always want to iterate, you always want to push. Mm-hmm. So if you can do it for a reason, I think that's really great. But I think working from life is so important. Hell, go outside and wear a mask, you know, be, be smart, keep your distance, but you know, draw people on the sidewalk. Right. Uh, and also it takes the pressure off. You don't have to learn how to draw noses or mouths for a few months. <laughs> yeah, true enough, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I have another question for you. Sure. If you had a chance to have a lunch with a fictional person, who would it be? Man, that is hard. Um, I don't know that I have a great answer for that, if I'm being totally honest. I think uh, <laughs> this is such a weird answer because this would just get me in trouble. Uh, I think for, for whatever reason, the, the first person that comes in mind would be uh, uh, Rick Sanchez from Rick and Morty, just because I think he knows so much about the universe, man. <laughs> what if he's seen so much, but then you're just going to get on an adventure and probably get, you know, 
turn into goo or something like that. So he's probably not the safe answer, but I think he would be an interesting answer at the very least. He'd be, go off, he'd be fun to like go off on an intergalactic bender with, you know? <laughs> right. I, I like that. That's a good answer. Yeah. So Max, uh, where can people find you online? Uh, so maxulichny.com. Mm-hmm. I don't even know how to spell it, so don't even try. Uh, or maxpacks.art is my for my brushes you can also find me on gumroad but i think the better way to go in is through uh, maxpacks.art um, or on social media at max ulichney m-a-x-u-l-i-c-h-n-e-y that's on instagram and twitter uh, and i'm new on youtube again we've kind of relaunched my my youtube channel on there just search for my name so um i'm all the places that you would hope for me to be and more probably so <laughs> i'm you know i'm trying to be available and uh and put myself out there wherever, you know, wherever people want to see me. That's awesome. I will uh, include links to all your sites, all your social media and everything we talked about in the show notes. So I want to thank you, Max, so much for this. This was so enlightening, wonderful conversation. Um, I really hope we have a chance to do this again. It would be wonderful to talk after your project is, is launched at Netflix. You'll be part of my, uh, I'll I'll take my entourage through the podcast with you. (laughs) That'd be awesome. Okay, thanks so much, Max, and uh, we'll be watching and continue doing what you're doing because we love it. I'll uh, obviously include links to the Max Packs as well because I would recommend if you are using Procreate, you have to go out and uh, pick up one of the Max Packs because they are just incredible. Thanks, Max. That's right. Thanks, Mike. Okay, have a good one. Show notes, including links to everything Max and I spoke about, can be found at drawinginspiration.fm slash 27. You can find links to all my social media accounts at drawinginspiration.fm, including my Instagram, which is Mike underscore Hendley, where I post all my art. Follow me or tag me so I can see what you have created recently. Until next time, be kind to one another and keep drawing. Theme music for this podcast is Acid Jazz, provided by Kevin McLeod. <laughs>